0: Let's pray, and we'll get into our awesome passage today. Um, Father, we do thank you and praise you uh, for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the opportunity that we have to to gather here to study, to worship you, to grow in our relationship with you. Lord, as we are making our way through uh, 1 Timothy, uh, we enter a passage that is highly fought against within our culture. Um, it brings with it pain, brings with it uh, misinterpretation that's happened over the years and misapplication. And so Father, we ask that you would help us now as we study this passage, help us to understand it in context, help us to understand with uh, clean minds, a clear slate that we would allow your word to speak we ask that you would bless our time as we worship you through the studying of your word. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women, making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived, fell into transgression. <clears throat> but a woman will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. And Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, we ask that you would guide us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to thank all the people this week who have said, I'm really looking forward to Sunday, uh, kind of with a smirk in their eyes. Uh, Dear Dave approached me during the, the meet and greet time. He's like, brother, I'm praying for you. <laughs> I appreciate it, Dave. Everybody else has been sort of teasing me. I, um, <clears throat> I, I think I want to start. If you're visiting us, you're getting a glimpse of what we believe in here. Um, not necessarily the subject that I'm covering, um, but what we believe in here is expository preaching where we take a book of the Bible at a time and we just sort of march through Uh, We allow the scripture to speak. Um, I work really hard trying to study and to figure out what is being said and the the principles and how it's rightly applied. Um, I understand that this passage is one that comes with great pain um, because there have been men who have misused it and misinterpreted it over the years. Um, Last year, around this time, I don't remember, it was like the first, it might have been the first or second week in January when Lindsay Gray was here. I distinctly remember that she was here when this happened. It was after the service. I was out front after the church services, just as a, so you guys know, my brain after church is like scrambled eggs. Like, I, I'm i exhausted. I can't necessarily uh, figure out my right from the left, trying to, if you ask me to do something or to remember something, I often will say, can you shoot me an email? Or I'll pull out my phone when it's like, oh, my phone's out front, let me get my phone because I'm going to forget. So this lady who I'd never seen before or seen since, we were not on this passage. She approached me and she said, I have a question for you. And I remember thinking, I sure hope she asked me where, like, the nearest gas station is or where's a good place to eat. She looked at me with kind of tears in her eyes, and she's like, what do you think about women? I'm like, I love them. I'm married to one. I have two daughters. We have, like, all kinds of them in the church. Like, women are wonderful. Amen. Amen. (laughs) And then she looks at me, and she kind of I don't even remember because I think by that point I realized I'm like, "Oh no, I'm on the attack here. I I'm, I'm being attacked, and I'm kind of like <clears throat> and I kind of said, our stand. I'm like, well, when I, I tried you know just like my best attempt at tap I'm like I'm like, what you're, if what you're asking is, would we have a woman pastor? I, I'm like, no, I don't, I don't see room in the scriptures for a woman elder, but but that doesn't mean there's not room for women, deacons, women in leadership. I'm like I'm like, lady." You just heard a a a young female missionary pilot speak to the church about what she's doing in Africa, something that every single person in our church will be afraid to go do and she spoke and she's like, "Well, you got a good point there and so I thought we kind of so I don't come to this passage lightly i um i uh I will say a bunch of stuff over and over again just to kind of like emphasize certain things. Today's passage has nothing to do with equality. Today's passage has nothing to do about aptitude of women. Um, It has everything to do with roles within the context of a corporate worship service like we're in today. Remember, Chapter 3, verse 14, Paul writes young Timothy and explains the purpose of his writing. He says, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write to you so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church, the the living God, the pillar of support of the truth. And so he is writing, dealing with addressing situations both men and women within this church in Ephesus this church that had the shadow of the temple of Diana that, that had all sorts of issues women were revered and in, in some way in the culture but also de- denigrated in other ways part of the worship service for not the church but in Diana was was public like prostitution on stage before people was a form of worship and so to say that there were issues that had bled into the, the church, there were all kinds of stuff were happening. Um, before, normally, I have like a paragraph introduction. I got two pages today, so we're going to ease into this slowly. I'm not trying to waste time. <clears throat> I want to lay the foundation um, concerning Paul's teaching. Is 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 Paul anti women? I would say absolutely not. We <clears throat> we 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 can't divorce ourselves from this is the epistle of Timothy, which is a pastoral epi- epistle, which is it's a, it's a letter written for pastoral care in the local church. <clears throat> we know that it's the Apostle Paul who's writing, and he's writing to Timothy, who we actually know a lot about. Paul, in 2 Timothy, which is essentially his last will and testament, his final letter, the letter where he's basically in a pit uh, in the earth, freezing, awaiting his execution. He opens the letter in Second Timothy 1, five, dealing with the saying goodbye. Um, saying, Timothy, I, I, I remember the faith of your grandmother and your mother, these two women, who poured their lives into you and gave you the foundation of faith that you have, which God is now using to lead the church. So, so these two women are applauded greatly. We Um, we see in his writing to Titus, another young pastor, in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that he encourages the older women. I don't know that it's necessarily older in in, uh, age. It probably in some respects is, but older in the faith, that they would be used to teach and to train and equip younger women as they live their lives for God. I deeply believe that which we're going to look at in two weeks. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11 is dealing with women deacons, a leadership role within the church. Um, throughout the Bible, there's all kinds of women who did great things. I mean, off the top of my mind, like, I think of Deborah. I think of Esther. I think of Ruth. I think of, um, now it's like the pop quiz. I, I know Phoebe, Paul used Phoebe in the New Testament. Um, there's Lydia, who was a founder of a church in Acts that, that she was, doing all sorts of things to lead uh, for the foundation of the church. I believe in Philippi, if my memory is correct. <clears throat> so in the Bible, there's women throughout it. If you go into church history and you look at the things that women have done church history-wise, it's over There's Betty Green, who's the founder of uh, Missionary Aviation Fellowship. There's um, uh, Lottie Moon, Amy Carmichael, Elizabeth Elliot, the the list going on. And if you don't know who these women are who I'm mentioning, I would encourage you to read Christian biographies. History is riddled with amazing women who God has used to do amazing things uh, for his glory. In my my personal life, just to kind of get me off the hot seat, my most trusted advisor One of the greatest theologians I know, one of the greatest counselors I know, the person who reviews every single sermon with me every single Saturday night and gives great input is my wife, Anna. And I can't overstress that. My dentist is a female. I don't trust a single man in this room to start drilling on my face. I've had a crown, and for those of you that are lucky enough that don't have a crown, like a crown is when they take a basically a bench grinder and they grind away your whole tooth until there's a little stump, and then they put a fake tooth on there. I let women do, I let a woman do that. That speaks of competency more than, and I would not trust any of you men in this room. Uh, I would be more apt to let a woman in this room do it for the first time because I know she's going to read the instructions and she's going to follow them. <laughs> you think I'm being funny? This is dead serious. My veterinary with our, our animals is a woman who I trust and lean on. Like when we had litters and stuff went wrong. Absolutely trusted her. This last year has been a difficult life. Uh, life yeah, <laughs> Life has been very difficult this last year in dealing with my dad's declining health with his Alzheimer's kicking in. One of the key people who has helped me most tremendously this year is my dad's general practitioner who is a woman. She's trumped all the other doctors and specialists that we leaned upon her to guide us and help us through some really tough times this year. As a chaplain, I'm the lead chaplain of the Escondido Police Department. One of the go-to people that I often call out to horrible and horrific scenes is a chaplain that I work with who's Debbie. That's a female. And so just like, let's just kind of get this. The Bible isn't derogatory towards women. This passage is actually radical. If we could get through the speed bumps of our culture that has has really made it say something that it doesn't say. It's not about equality. It's not about competency. And it's not even about, in general terms, like all women and all men. Like in the subject of marriage, going back to Genesis chapter 3, the issue was Eve with her husband. And I would say when the Bible speaks about women like within the context of marriage, This is a competent, willing woman in her uh, worship of Christ is choosing willingly, voluntarily to subject herself to her husband who may not be as competent as she she is out of worship in Christ. And before I pause there, this isn't for men to jump on. The, the, The push in this context and all of it is for men to lead like Christ. And men fail horribly. And this passage has been manipulated by men of flesh who have used this to manipulate this. And I don't think I need to expand on that. We, we can get that. That's not what we're talking about here. But in the context here, we're talking about a worship setting where the people of God gather to study the word of God. And so even a lot of what's being said here would even apply to men because this is the context towards the congregation, towards the elders who are leading the church. And next week, that's exactly the subject that we're going into, the qualifications of an elder, the pastor, which is terribly, I mean, when I look at the qualifications of what an elder is, it's humbling. And so it talks about a godly man that is leading well, like Christ, that's respected by all within the church, out of the church. This is the individual that this passage is talking about. This passage is dealing with the respect towards those that God has placed in authority. If you would turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, this is another one where the church is sort of <clears throat> being admonished to respect those that God has placed in authority within the church. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, for Scripture says, well, he goes on to other things, But so the context here is the elders that God has raised up, gifted to teach and to lead the church, there's supposed to be respect there. And so the point, kind of going back to today's passage, as we uh, gently wade into the water of this passage, we're dealing with the context of a worship service, a woman that we'll see here who has made a claim of Christ-likeness, of godliness, one who has given their life to Christ, where she willingly is subjecting herself in her reverence of God to uh, function in the role in this setting. It has nothing to do with aptitude, nothing to do with competency, nothing at all like that. Um, It comes on the heels of men. Verse 8, which I read today, men are called to be leading the church in prayer. Their hands are to be holy, set apart. They're not to have wrath, anger, so there's, there's plenty of stuff that men, we need to work on, amen? This pa- There's other passages, I've listed them up here. I'm not going to cover the scope of women in the Bible, like I have no way, I've, there's no way I could do that in one setting, nor do I want to do that. My passage in Timothy is this one, so this is the one we'll cover, but if you want to expand, there's 1 Corinthians 11, 14, Titus 2, 1 Peter 3, um, there are other passages you can study. And as we come to this passage, there are two extremes that tend to happen. The first extreme is that you come to the Bible already blowing it off. That no matter what is said or what you learn, you don't give a rip. Because your culture, your background, your beliefs, your numero uno, whatever you think, you, you know what's best and so you're going to do whatever you want. I can't tell you how many people I run into all the time that say, oh, I don't believe in God. I don't want anything to do with it. The Bible's full of errors, inconsistencies. And it's like, well, can you give me one? Just one. If there's so many. Can you? Can you I don't, I, 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 I'm just speaking in general terms. I'm mean, like, no, no, just, like, seriously, can you give me one? I will do the research. I will investigate it. I will try to figure out what this inconsistency to help. No, I don't really care. I've never even read the Bible. It's like, Oh. So you're just kind of saying that because you've made up in your mind you don't want anybody telling you what to do, including God, and so you've just written the whole thing off. Now the other problem is that you take the Word of God literalistically. Before you push back, say, God, I thought you took the Bible literally. I, yeah, I do take the Bible literally. Taking the Bible literally means that you, you consider history, you consider use of language, parts of speech, uh, what, what does the writing say? Are we, as, as you, the natural reading of it is the natural reading allegory? Is this a historical passage? Is it a di- didactic passage where it's giving instruction? And so there's a, there's a lot to sort of take in before you get to the application. And, and that's why having a good Bible teacher who does his work and his study so that he can present the, God of, the word of God as it was intended. I mentioned 1 Peter 3. This is one that, if I've never seen it taken literalistically, um, here, let me just turn it over there. You guys can join me over in 1 Peter chapter 3. This is a cross reference. This is a passage <clears throat> that deals with many of the same things that we're going to look at today. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. Which says your adornment, speaking of women, must not merely be external, um, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be hidden in the person. Hid it, but let. Well, excuse me. But let it be the hidden person of the heart, with imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Now, that first part, the New American Standard has sort of worked out some of the translation kinks. I'm sure if you have the NIV or New Living Translation it will have worked them out even better. But it says, you know, let your adornment, it's not your adornment, your clothing, um, it's not external. Focus on the inward. Now, if you had the King James Version, and you were literalistically, and you wanted to literalistically translate this, there would be some, uh, and you were very wooden about it, you could run into some issues. Because the King James Version essentially says, who's adorning, let it not be on the putting on of of (laughs) apparel. Like, don't let your your worship be in the putting of clothes. And so, if you want to take that out literalistically, you could have some very interesting worship services. <clears throat> and so, we're not taking this literalistically in the sense of, like, it says this: no braided hair. So, no braided hair. I've already scolded Daniel for having a braided beer this morning. I say my daughter comes with <laughs> braided hair. Like what? Like, <clears throat> like, is that what it's saying? No, we gotta, we gotta get. We've got to get to the, the heart of the passage. What is it saying? What principles apply that translate over the centuries? What issues were issues that were related specifically to the time of Timothy that actually meant something to him? And so with that, that's two pages of introduction. i still got plenty of time to go. <clears throat> Let's jump into the deep end. Verse 9. Likewise. Likewise is a word that's like a therefore. It's tying it to the previous passage. The previous passage dealt with prayer, dealt with seeking God, seeking relationship with him, being in communion with him. So likewise, sort of uh, grafting this to the context of men. Men were dealt with in prayer. Women are being linked to prayer. And he says, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly. So the big picture here is in this verse, or this first half of the verse, we're dealing with a timeless principle. He says, I want women to adorn themselves. So we're talking about clothing. He says, I want there to be proper clothing, modestly, discreetly. In every culture, in every time, this means something. How it translates from culture and context, it will adjust. Um, I'm not going to like go into a whole sermon about what you can wear or can't wear. Like, I really don't. Like, I don't want to say I don't care. But, but this, this is wh- where, like, I think what he, what he starts with is, I want women who come to the corporate worship service to be mindful of their dress, and to be mindful of how does your dress affect those that are coming to worship God? And so he says some things like proper clothing, modestly, discreetly. I don't need to expand with that. Now the second half of the verse he's going to deal with a specific issue of Timothy's time and context of Ephesus. And so the application for Timothy in his day, he says, "Not with braided hair and gold and pearls or." Now, there's a timeless principle, costly. There's, a, there's sort of like a warning, because I think costly, expensive, something to be mindful of, if, 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 which I'm not going to expand upon, garments. I'm going to move on. So right here, he says, no braided hair, no gold, no uh, pearls, no costly garments. When you come to the worship service, don't, don't do this. Now, braided hair, like I, I kind of laughed. I noticed that little Ellie, my daughter, showed up in her braids in her hair. I'm like, ooh, is this Anna, like, trying to be... Uh, It doesn't mean anything. Does braided hair mean anything in our culture? It means absolutely nothing in our culture. Now, in this culture, braided hair with gold and all kinds of stuff, this is like a flashy, blingy, uh, it it could mean uh, insubordination to your husband, infidelity with your husband. It could be reflective of like this is how the temple prostitutes dressed to get like attention. And in their culture, for a woman to go anywhere, there would have been the... (gasps) So he says, don't, no, not in the context of the worship service. Whether, whether it was al- allowed in other contexts, I don't know. I remember talking with Anna last night. I said, oh yeah, this is like, yeah, there might be a time and a place it's appropriate for a bikini. Like if you're at the beach and there's not, but a worship.' and she looked at me and said, Gunner, wetsuit's the same way. You could totally wear a wetsuit at the beach, but there would be not appropriate for you to be standing up in front of everybody in a wetsuit. I said, oh yeah, that wetsuit that the Navy gave me 10 or 20 years ago, I kind of like really squeeze into it. That probably wouldn't be appropriate in the context of preaching, walking into church, or even just showing up at church in a wetsuit. Might be distracting. Definitely would be embarrassing. But down at the beach trying to teach my kids how to surf, that's a totally different context. The the closest I can come to understanding... uh, What's being said here is an illustration that I'm going to have a difficult time giving because I don't really follow any of this stuff. So I think there's something called the Golden Globes and the Emmys, and I think there's another one. I have no idea. There might be another one. You know where they pull up the red carpet and all the famous people come strutting down on the red carpet? Oscars. Yeah, that's one. I don't watch any of those things. I don't care about any of those things. But I do know, like, in the paper the next morning, when I read the paper... I'll see things like, oh, there's so-and-so on the red carpet with this dress that such-and-such made, and so-and-so, and and her shoes are such-and-such, and and this purse is such. It means nothing to me. Like, I, I, like, and speaking of purses, like, apparently there's different styles of purses and stuff. Like, to me, a purse is a bag that's a black hole that I can't find anything (laughs) in. I can't tell the difference between a $5 Kmart purse and a I don't even know how much an expensive purse is or where you would get one at. But there's people who do. And so I think at the heart of this, he's like, hey, when you strut into church, they will be strutting into church. This isn't the Golden Globes, Emmys, or Oscars. This is a place where we want to worship. So be mindful of how you're dressing. If you have wealth and you can afford fine things, use discretion because... Nine-tenths of the people in there can't roll in with that kind of stuff. And so be considerate. Is it distracting? Is, there, is all the attention going to be on you, or is the attention going to be on the, on the Word of God, which is what we want people to have their attention on? So I'm not going to regulate. Am I, you know, my wife grew up in independent fundamental circles, and I didn't. But I've heard stories from them and their friends of visiting churches, obviously not her dad, but... Where, where pastors are given whole sermons with like uh, different types of clothing that's appropriate or inappropriate. I'm never going to do that. this I, I really think that this is why the importance of having like older women to kind of like like moms and stuff kind of like, hey, honey, you don't dress like that at church. you know maybe you don't dress like that anywhere but that's but like in the context of church, like honey, you, like you don't dress like that. I'm going to leave it at that. He continues with the timeless principle again, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. To me, this is important. So we're not even talking about all women. He's talking about women who have made a claim of Christ, that they've made a claim to godliness or Christlikeness. So these are women who've given their lives to Christ. They worship him. They walk with him. He says, okay, you've made this claim of Christ what, what you need to focus on is, is your works so that they match your profession. This sounds a lot like Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works. That, that the fruit of your life should manifest the confession of your lips. That it's the inside that produces fruit. And I, and I think that that's the focus of this, this first part now. Fortunately, I have plenty of time to continue on into the second part, which is much more difficult. I'll get a drink of water. And we'll get into wonderful verse 11 that everybody's going to enjoy. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Again, this is in the context. Corporate worship service that God has established. The church was established by Christ. Matthew sixteen or eighteen. I was going backwards, but at Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus says, "I will establish my church." <clears throat> Jesus is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He was not bound by culture. He was not bound by influence. He he, he liberated women in so many ways by their culture. He was not afraid of their culture. Thinking like the woman at the well and he sent her off to go share the good news and many others Jesus didn't choose 12 apostles that were men on accident to lead his church so when he created the church there's there's a there's an order of the rules Again, nothing to do with aptitude, nothing to do with equality. Paul writes in Galatians, there's no women, there's no men, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. We're all one in Christ. Um, I think that um, when he says this in the context, in many respects, it's aimed at all people. However, it was unique towards women because this idea was radical. This cut against anything they'd ever known. And we get all sort of lost in the margins of these two verses. Everybody <clears throat> locks on to quiet, quietly submissiveness, um, not to teach or to exercise authority, or to remain quiet. Those are all the like the big fireworks that everybody catches on. But the radicalness of this verse is so radical. The, the women were to receive instruction. The women were to learn. They were to grow in their faith. That they, they were to enter the worship service shoulder by shoulder with men. We don't have a men's section and a women's section. The men are up front and the women are in the back, or not in here at all. You go to Israel today, you go down to the western wall, no woman is going to go to the left side of the wall, period. The women can go to the right side of the wall. No man is going to go to the right side of the wall. If you do, you'll be stopped by police. If a woman tries to go to the left side, you'll be stopped by police. If you're a man and you want to go, you've got to grab a yarmulke. It doesn't matter that every guy in the world has used that yarmulke. You're going to use a yarmulke to go touch the wall. There was total segregation. The, the Talmud said that a man could learn, a woman could hear, but she wasn't to get busy with the learning about what was being said. She could hear what was being said, but she was not to associate or to learn or to apply like these things. When he talked about the temple, there was the, the Jews, the men had access. The priests had further access. There, uh, there were, the Gentiles had another barrier and the women were sort of out there. But now through Christ in this formation of the church, women are linked arm in arm with the men. Participating collectively, together in equality with the men, worshiping God, studying, learning the scriptures. This is huge. So now you have a bunch of women who've been excluded. Now they're in church, and they're going to have all sorts of questions that they have never been exposed to, which I think is why in Corinthians he says, "Hey, don't women don't ask questions in church. Like, let your husband kind of catch you up to speed." I think this is derogatory. But he says, you're supposed to learn, and you're supposed to grow. Why? Because the church needs you to serve and use your gifting. If you were to remove the women from the church, the church would be in a lot of trouble. I don't counsel women. I might meet with a girl, but it's always, hey, why don't you come to my house, and my wife will be there, and I'm going to sort of let my wife. And praise the Lord, she knows the word of God. Praise the Lord, she's been growing in her faith. Praise the Lord that she, she has been equipped and, and, and can counsel. She's far better. And like if you're a woman, you're, you're to be growing. And I think that the idea is he says, as you learn, as you grow, as you're participating, don't allow this new freedom to like usurp the, the, the role and the distinction that God has given. And again, this isn't all men. This is within the body of Christ, the structure that God has given. He's, he's ordained elders, which is coming next week, which are men. Pastors are men, biblically. And so women and men who are not elders are sub- submitting themselves to the leadership that God has provided. And we might say our quick pushback, because I don't want to say I don't have an axe in this. or a, I, don't have a, what is it? I don't have an axe to grind. I don't have... I don't have a, is it a cat in the game? Skin in the game? A dog in the what? A dog in the hunt. I do. I have two daughters. I have two daughters that love the Lord. I want them to serve and get involved. I, I have a dog in the hunt. I like that one. So my default, I want to say, oh, I want to push back that this was Cultural that we've come a long way. There's like, this, this was set in that day. But Paul's going to take that away from me. The word of God is going to take that away from me because he doesn't reason from culture, he reasons from scripture. He goes back to Genesis. First three chapters of the Bible are the most disputed, the most attacked. And if you don't have a handle on the first three chapters of the Bible, your, your worldview is going to get destroyed. But the first three chapters of the Bible set the worldview for Christians, or they should. And Paul says, for it was Adam who was first created in Eve, and that God intended it. It wasn't an accident. Again, not about equality, not about aptitude. That there was an order that God established. And he says it was not Adam who was deceived. He certainly was held accountable for his fall. If you just read Romans, I think chapter 5 makes it clear that Paul, I mean, Adam, takes the brunt of the blame because he was the one that God gave accountability to and he did not lead well. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression, that Eve was deceived, and then she led her husband, who was not leading, into transgression. And he said there's an order that's been established by God, not contingent on cultural. So when we enter the church, when we enter our marriage as Christians, we honor what God says or we're supposed to. It's crazy to me that the issue of gender, like just saying Boy and girl has become a political issue like like that gender's on attack. there's boys and there's girls. Not about equality, not about aptitude. But there's distinctions. Then we come to verse 15, which is this verse that is like mind-boggling but women will be preserved through the bearing of children. We'll, get, we'll come back to that. <laughs> Not. I mean today, like today we'll come back to it. <clears throat> the second half, I think makes a lot of sense. They're to continue in the faith. There's nothing hard about that one. Continue in faith, continue in love, continue in sanctity or holiness, separating yourself, setting yourself apart for God and with self-restraint. Those are all good. Those are all easy to understand. There's nothing like, I don't, I mean, I'd apply all of those to my life, and I try to apply all of those in my life. I don't see anything, like, cantankerous about that. I'm not saying I've mastered any of those. I struggle with them in my flesh. but, but, But those are standards that I think we all should, we should all strive for as Christians. But now we come to the, but the women will be preserved through the bearing of children. Hmm. The first thing we need to do is just acknowledge that this is a hard pass. This is a hard few couple words together. There is no parallel passage anywhere in the scripture that makes sense of this. This is totally in isolation. And so when we come to a, a verse in the Bible or something that there's nowhere else that correlates with it, you can come to something that's difficult and you can find 15 other passages that shed light on that that you can kind of make sense and say well over here it says this and we can kind of like oh, this is just sort of a wooden translation there's nothing for this one and so we acknowledge it's difficult it it also should lead us to great humility like i uh, i don't know there's about 57 different options if you open your commentators and to read like there's like all kinds of suggestions i'm not going to list all of them you're afraid to choose anyone that you want, but I, I, I'll, I'll suggest three <clears throat> in no particular order. Because every, like, I, the first one, really, I was like, hey, that really makes sense. Then I read somebody else I have respect, and they said, that doesn't make any sense at all. I'm like, hmm, <laughs> what do you have to say? Well, oh, that makes sense. Then I read somebody else. Well, they disagree with him. <clears throat> so the first one is sort of makes sense. So, the second word, but women, will be preserved through the bearing of children. In your Bible, that word woman should be italicized. There should be a footnote. There should be something indicating that there's something up with that word woman, or women in the plural. <clears throat> Whether or not you have the notes to say, but, but the word woman is not there. The, the word is actually singular, um, she. Then you lead into all the kind of problems because for any grammarian, you know, when, 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 you're, when you're writing a sentence, you have to kind of keep everything in the same tense for a sentence. But, but the problem is, is the sentence moves from the singular to the plural because of the second half, it goes to the they, which leads to a whole bunch of other questions. But, but if the she is singular, then the question is, who's the object? Who are, who are we talking about? And in context, you'd follow it back to verses 14 and 15, or, or excuse me. 13 and 14, and then the object of she becomes Eve. And so option number one, they would say that this verse is understood, but she, Eve, will be preserved through the bearing of children. Now in the context, there was the following, following her eating of the fruit and following it into transgression, God's curse came. I always thank Eve when I'm weed whacking out here it's all her fault that I got to like deal with these weeds. If if they just wouldn't have eaten this, I think the whole world would have just been like perfect. Only the stuff that you want growing is growing. But now I got a weed whack all my whole life, it feels like sometimes. But then there was like, hey, when you have a child, it's going to hurt really, 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 really bad. That doesn't sound good to me. I, I am a firm proponent of Guys, we, sh- we shouldn't say that we're pregnant. I, when Anna was pregnant with our kids, I was not pregnant. I was not throwing up 17 times a day for the first four months. I did not have to get the baby out of my abdomen. I, like, I was expecting a child, but I was not pregnant. And what a woman goes through in the birth, pro- like all I can is, a God bless you, and I'm thank you. Like... like Oh, just stop. Like, it's just, but it is that way because of the fall, we're told. And so the first option is that this is talking about Eve, sin entered the world, but through her bearing of child, because in Genesis 3.15, as the curse is given, we're told that through her seed, a Messiah would come, and he would crush the head of Satan. And so the thought is that even though she sinned, there was grace there. And that through her descendants a Messiah would rise up and salvation would be found. That's option one. Option two, along the same vein, is that this word uh, preserved or saved isn't talking spiritually. It, it's, it's, it's speaking just literally like through the process of childbirth, women in the midst of the horrible curse that was placed on them in childbearing, that they would be preserved. Um, our fourth child when Anna had a placental abruption we almost lost both of them uh, coming up on four years ago. When that happened, I was like, how does this ever go right? Like, ser- like how does a woman deliver a baby and for it ever to go okay? It- it's a miracle. And so... So so some would hold second option is that what they're talking about is not spiritually minded. They're, 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 that it's Even though Eve sinned, there was grace that as she gave children and all women as they give children, that they'll be preserved. Now, obviously the pushback would be like, we all know women have died during childbirth. My paternal great-grandmother died while my grandpa was born. So they push back and say, well, not every woman has been spared. So, I don't know. Option number three, and then I'll stop. Is in the context of this, there, like in the context of this free, this new freedom, the third option is like there's distinction between man and woman, and there's an encouragement to embrace the distinction. They're, they're, boys and girls are different. When you have a baby, there are things that dads just can't do that a, that a mom can do. And so the the third option is like that there's there's an encouragement to the women to embrace the distinctiveness that God has created you in and to embrace it and to love it and don't don't as the curse says to Eve that you'll desire your husband and there's great there's great questions about was the desire trying to overturn this new subjectiveness that God has placed upon her At the end of the day I don't know and there's 53 other options you can choose from. You're welcome to do whatever you want. What I want to end with is a little bit of humor. Uh, 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses uh, 15b through 16, Peter. uh, The uh, the Apostle Peter, concerning Paul, writes this. "Our Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him. So he says, our brother Paul, who we love, Apostle Paul, God has given him infinite wisdom. And in that wisdom he wrote to you, as also in all of his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things that are hard to understand. <laughs> yeah. Which the untaught will manipulate and twist and to do all kinds of things. And I think this is a passage that people have used to manipulate, but Peter, the apostle, who as divine inspiration from God to to write scripture, speaks about Paul the Apostle, who's written so much about the church. He says, there are some things that God has given him that I are difficult to understand. So we come humbly to this passage. There's a couple points just to kind of conclude with as I look at this section, and I am grateful to be through it is I think the first thing is we need to check our attitude towards Scripture. Are we defiant towards Scripture or are we compliant towards it? And not just this passage, the all of it. There's all kinds of things in Scripture that cut against my flesh, my nature, my drive, things that I really want to do. And so my prayer as I've come to Christ is like, this is the Word of God. I need to humble myself to it. I need to allow it to cut me. I need to allow it to hurt. I need to do things that I don't necessarily understand that I might not even agree with. But I want to submit my life to it. I I, I devote great time in studying so that hopefully when we present the scriptures here that we are coming to it with, with deep reverence, deep respect. But we're taking the principles in context. I, I think in the midst, midst of the the drama connected to this, this, this passage, I think we lose insight of one of the most profound things is that, that the most profound thing of this passage is that women are encouraged to learn and to worship side by side in the midst of a congregation so that they would grow, so that they'd be able to use their gifts. This is huge. And we get all lost in the fray about, oh, it says to be quiet and it says to be this. Like, you all have all been quiet while I've been talking here. True? This isn't like girls are muted walking in the hallways or in between. Like, it's in the context of the teaching of the corporate service. And that women should are a part of this that we want you to learn. I don't want you to just hear. I want you to hear the word of God, apply it to your heart, learn from it, grow. Live your lives out so that your profession of faith would result in good deeds that the world would see. to the disposition of both men and women in the context of all of chapter two. All of us need an attitude of submission and respectfulness towards Christ, first and foremost. Our, Our submission is to him, first and foremost. We're all to be learners. We're all to grow in our faith. And we're all to live out our faith. And Father, we do thank you Lord, I thank you that you have created humans, both man and woman. There's a, a beauty. There's there's something special in the the complementary aspect of a man and a woman that I don't know that we fully understand. We live in a culture that wants to press back against gender in general. And so Lord, we ask that as we seek to honor you, that you would help us to understand um, biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. That you would help us as a church to honor you with our lives. Pray for our marriages. Pray for our children. Um, This this world around us is attacking the things which you've created. And so, Lord, we, um, we seek you for wisdom. We ask that your spirit would guide us, Lord, day by day, that we would manifest the fruit of the spirit in our lives and as a congregation We love you, Lord. And that's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.